Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. Uh, man, life has been hectic the last few weeks and I think it's only going to get worse because I've got I had my trip to Minnesota. If you guys saw the uh, lecture that I posted this last Thursday um, or want to see it, check it out. It was a, a talk that I gave at Paganicon 2018 in Minneapolis uh, to a, a group of pagans about destructive cults and, and Scientology and my history in that and how I fell into that and how uh, the lessons I've learned from it that I was trying to pass on to them. They invited me to come out there and talk about that, so it was a pretty interesting talk. Um, and, of course, this is posting on Sunday, so I hope you guys have seen that my Sensibly Speaking podcast this week features Leah Remini as my guest. And I gotta tell you, I am all kinds of happy about that. Uh, very, very excited. It was months uh, kind of in the making for our schedules to work out, more for her schedule to work out, so that we could do that. And, uh, and it's an audio only, uh, but it is a podcast, so it's meant to be kind of listened to more so than watched. So anyway, there's no video on that, but uh, we talked for an hour. We went over a lot of stuff, including, um, you know, her complete <laughs> uh, no answer on season three and what's going to be in it. And, uh, and some other things that are pretty interesting stuff. So I uh, hope you guys will check that podcast out. Also, if you're a Patreon supporter of mine, uh, we have stably crossed the $1,000 a month threshold, which means that I will now be setting up a patron-only uh, hangout. And I believe I'll be, uh, I'm going to be working to set that up for next weekend. Uh, they'll be uh, happening on uh, Saturdays based on the, the answers I got back from my patrons as to when the best time to do that would be. So we're going to give that a go and see how this works out. Probably do it like once a month. And, uh, and I think that'll be a lot of fun. So if you're interested in uh, having some private hangout time with me, then uh, Patreon is your ticket to that. Uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, then you will be, uh, have access to the link to that hang out and uh and we'll see how that goes it's it's i am um, totally uh um an experiment with this and see see how uh how, what the best format is to do and the best way to interact with my patrons all right let's go ahead and get on with your questions now barney saunders due to the international nature of the church of scientology how does the church maintain control over the non-american sections Surely they can maintain less control over these sections. Does this translate into a situation where the authoritarian control and human rights abuses are less severe for those Scientologists who are based outside of the U.S.? All right, well, I did a video called Scientology's Organizational Madness, where I sort of laid out the entire structure and command channels of Scientology according to how it was supposed to be set up under L. Ron Hubbard's final directions and and workouts in the 1980s, and then how David Miscavige has usurped control over the entire structure and runs it as a dictator. Um, that structure applies to all of Scientology internationally. Uh, it's not just a U.S.-based thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm taking this question up because I want to talk about the, the role of the Sea Org, but I do find it in, a kind of an uh, interesting question because um, I don't know why anyone would think that Scientology runs things outside of the U.S. any differently than it runs it inside the U.S. It's really the same operating pattern and principles and guidelines and the same L. Ron Hubbard policies. 
including all of the policies that he wrote that are not particularly out in the, in the public uh, sector for everybody to, to download and read, uh, about how to manage organizations and how to uh, run Scientology, like really the nuts and bolts of, of how it gets run, you know. Uh, anyway, it is the same. And the human rights abuses that occur within Scientology occur universally uh, in all parts of the world. Uh, in fact, Australia has been a place where some really nasty stuff has happened and where people have been relegated who weren't wanted in the United States or weren't wanted in David Miscavige's vicinity or in any possibility of them ever again coming within David Miscavige's vicinity. So, uh, so you know, you have that going on there. Of course, uh, Europe has seen some, I mean, over the years, there's, I, I, when I, I heard war stories when I was in the Sea Org about all kinds of nonsense. There was a guy, for example, who was on a project or what's called a Sea Org mission in uh, Europe. He was an American and he uh, told me about how they didn't have money for food. Uh, and he was uh, staying, I guess, in some hostel or something where, where there was very, very little amount needed in order to have a bed to sleep in. Uh, he wasn't, obviously, he was, you know, external to a Sea Org base. He wasn't in Copenhagen or in, in uh, St. Hill. He was off in some European org. And so he was put up, put up at a hostel, and he was having to give blood almost every day and sell it, like, because apparently you get money uh, at that time. This was in the 80s, uh, in order to have money to eat, because the Sea Org wasn't sending him any money. So... Yeah, that kind of stuff happens uh, and happened, and it happens all over the place. Um, the amount of, uh, well, here's, let me say this about the Sea Org as far as how this all works. David Miscavige controls Scientology through the Sea Organization. That's S-E-A, as in the Ocean Organization. And if you don't know what the Sea Organization is, Google it. There's lots of information out there, and I've talked about it at length. But um, including in that organizational madness video. But the Sea Organization is sort of, uh, like I said, it's the glue that holds all of Scientology together. And it's the core group of a couple thousand people who David Miscavige runs as the captain of the Sea Org. He is the flag officer or, or, or you know, the highest ranking officer of the Sea Org. Uh, they have a whole ranks and rating system. Uh, and he's the only one who's actually got uh, the rank of captain. So everybody in the Sea Org answers to David Miscavige, ultimately. There's chains of command, of course, you know, layers between him and everyone else. But ultimately, if he comes into an area and he starts giving out orders, no one is going to even dream of, of disobeying or, or talking back or saying, yeah, I don't think so, or anything like that. Uh, so the Sea Org are the ones who manage all of Scientology. Every single Church of Scientology all over the world is managed, controlled by the Sea Organization. The management units exist at each continental level. Uh, and then there's an international body. Now, Miscavige has done away with a whole bunch of people at the international level, but he hasn't done away with everybody. There's still a structure of some kind there, uh, especially as, he's, as his orders filter down to middle upper middle management, lower middle management, which is where I worked, and then down to the Scientology organizations, or, or churches as they call them. Um, so without the Sea Org, none of this would really work. And this is this, this, this non-legal entity 
Uh, Jeffrey Augustine has discussed the uh, corporate or rather lack of corporate status or any legal status that the Sea Org has at the Scientology Money Project uh, website, that blog that he's put together. So you should also check that out. But, uh, but without that structure in place, without all those people, you know, yes sir, no sir to David Miscavige, um, this whole thing would kind of legally kind of fall apart and, and, uh, and practically it would fall apart because the Sea Org are the 24-7 are guys who are just working flat out to keep Scientology working. So um, they follow those direct orders. Um, Miscavige filters a lot of his orders through others. Uh, so it looks like the orders are coming from other people. Uh, he sends uh, his orders out, go down, not just verbally from his mouth, but in writing through issues that he writes uh, or telexes, uh, you know, basically emails that he sends um, to various people if he wants to. He can speak directly to people. I, for example, had uh, a series of uh, dispatch communications with him when I was in lower management. Um, and that was quite the thing. I mean, if you're having a direct communication with him, uh, you know, people are paying attention. They want to know what he says, right? It's very special to get a dispatch right from David Miscavige. It doesn't happen often. But when you're a commanding officer of one of these organizations, whether you're the commanding officer of the Australia Advanced Organization or the management unit down there, or you're in Copenhagen, or you're in UK, or you're in America, it's the same line. And it follows the same structure. So there is no difference. And, uh, and it's not like they pay a lot of attention to local laws or customs. Because as far as Scientology is concerned, they are remaking civilization as they want it to look. And so they don't pay, they pay the, the, the minimal amount of attention necessary to local laws and customs. Uh, and especially if those laws are going to get in their way. <laughs> so... That's how Scientology is, is run. I could give a lot more detail about different aspects of this, but I, I just kind of wanted to, to make the point about the Sea Org being the glue that holds everything together and also provides a uniformity of, of structure and, and, and control over all of the churches. So that's how that works. Gordon Weir. Hearing about the latest Kirstie Alley tweet, I thought she was quoted as saying that Scientology saved her life that she was addicted to drugs. I thought Scientology shunned people who admitted to using drugs. Is this another example of Scientology bending their rules for celebs? No, Scientology doesn't shun people who come in who are currently taking uh, drugs. Uh, Kirstie Alley, in fact, uh, said that her life was saved by Scientology twice, uh, not particularly noticing that <laughs> she came in, did the Narconon program, got, you know, which is a drug rehab program, got off of cocaine, I think it was, that she was addicted to, got back on it, and then had to do the, the rehabilitation program again. Not really that uncommon for the big wide world, but when you're claiming a 75 to 80% success rate, that doesn't speak well for your success rate when your national or international spokesperson, Kirstie Alley, admits that she did the program twice. At least that's how I understand uh, her past. If I'm wrong about that, somebody can correct me on it, but that's how I understand her history with, with Narconon and with Scientology. Um, if somebody comes into a church of Scientology and they are drug addicted, they will be re referred to a Narconon, if there is a Narconon program in the area, or 
The local church might try to take a stab at getting the person off of the drugs themselves by selling them a purification rundown. Uh, I've done a whole video on the uh, dangers of that program, how it's not really at all what it says it is. But, um, but the Scientologists think it is, and the Scientologists think that by sweating and taking mega doses of vitamins and niacin that you can uh, help with uh, withdrawals and with getting people off. There's different approaches to it. I'm, I'm speaking in very broad terms right now. Um, they might try to get the person you know, off the drugs first, but they're not going to try to, they're not going to go too far out of their way on that unless the guy's got money and he's throwing it at them. Because remember, Scientology is all about the money first. If some local Scientologist wants to take this drug addict on and get the person to withdraw from the drugs and then get them to pay for and do the purification program, well, that's, uh, that's on the individual Scientologist who's, who's being, uh, you know, maybe trying to be helpful or be a good Samaritan or something. Um, but they're not going to just kick the guy to the curb necessarily if they think that they can do something for him to... Uh, encourage him to get off of the drugs that he's addicted to. Um, so that's, you know, now they're not going to, you're right that they'll shun a person who's on drugs in terms of putting the person onto regular classes or into a regular program of Scientology auditing. That, that person will first have to get off the drugs. But I just wanted to be clear that it's not like, oh, you walk in and, and you're drug addicted. Okay, just get out. Just get out. You know, that's not necessarily the reception you're going to get. Depending on how far down, how far gone you have become uh, in your drug addicted descent, right? If you're homeless and sleeping on the streets and this sort of thing, well, Scientology is not going to be interested in you in any way at all. Uh, but if you come in and you've got this issue and, and you've got money and you're willing to throw it at them, They'll take it and they'll use it up uh, trying to help you with your drug problem. And maybe they'll, maybe it'll work and maybe it won't. It is a total coin toss. Uh, so, uh, no, not, a, not an issue of, uh, of, an ex of, of a, uh, this is not a case of an exception being made for a celebrity. Uh, so, there you go. Maureen Redfern. What kind of measures has David Miscavige taken to prevent a coup? I don't understand why somebody hasn't moved in and taken him off the COB platform. If he were running any other corporation, he would have been ousted long before now, especially with the bad press and all of the leaked information. I understand there is no board that he is the chairman of, so there's really no vote or any of the normal stopgap measures to move him along, but there are a lot of people working under him. It seems as though it would be easy to have a mutiny. He's clearly suppressive, as described by Hubbard. It just seems to me if I were a Scientologist, I might think about taking over. Even just to try and save the organization from this freefall it's in now. Thoughts? Well, Maureen, in almost any other group except a destructive cult, I would tend to agree with you. I don't know that you fully appreciate, based on the question alone, the level of indoctrination or mind control or undue influence or however you want to put it, uh, that exists at the upper levels of the Sea Organization and of Scientology. Uh, as, as I mentioned in my earlier question, the Sea Organization is sort of the glue that holds the whole thing together, and David Miscavige is the commanding officer. So the, the, a mutiny is not necessarily something that would be really super easy to arrange. You would have to have a number of people involved. 
if one person tried it and, one, and individuals have stood up to David Miscavige before and gotten knocked down very quickly because the group around David Miscavige are intensely loyal to him despite any reasons you might think that they shouldn't be or wouldn't be, they are. And there's a security force that exists at the Gold Base, at the Flagland Base in Florida, at the base in Los Angeles. And those security guys take their jobs very seriously. And they are loyal to a fault to David Miscavige. Uh, and they don't know all the things that you guys know, right? The security guys in PAC in, in the, at the Pacific Base in Los Angeles, uh, they don't know what goes on at the international base. They don't know about the beatings and the, and the uh, torture and the nonsense that Miscavige has put people through there. So if some of them got called for some reason, if there was a, if there was a situation and Miscavige needed a force of people to back him up for some reason, he would have the security guys at the gold base, he would have the security guys at the pack base, or he could take off to Florida and he'd have that whole group of people. And the Sea Org in general don't know all the things that we know out here in the big wide world because we have full access to the internet. They don't. So they don't know about all of this stuff and they will therefore be loyal to David Miscavige because they honestly think that he is the guy who is leading Scientology into a brilliant future of expansion and, and, and glory uh, for planet Earth. That's why they're there. And that's why they listen to him at all. Um, so that adoration that they feel and fear, I mean, it's both. It's a mixture. It's a complicated kind of thing. Um, you know, he doesn't, when David Miscavige leaves his inner circle area or that leaves the gold base where he's got people, you know, uh, locked up and, and the hole and all that stuff. Uh, I've never had all that. I mean, I don't know what the current situation is, but when he, everything that happens on gold base stays on gold base. No one who comes out of the gold base talks about it at all. I spent years in very close quarters with people who had been banished from the gold base and sent to the RPF. When I was on the RPF, none of them ever breathed nary a word about the abusive conditions that were going on there. The other aspect of this, to speak to the mind control, is that L. Ron Hubbard set up a series of beliefs within Scientology that if you're critical of the organization or fault-finding or, find, or, or you think something's up that's, that's not right, it's on you. You're, see, you're only looking at it that way because you've committed moral transgressions, what are called overts in Scientology. And those overts blind you to the truth and make it seem like you should be critical and you should be, you know, carping or, or finding fault with what's going on. Uh, but the only reason you'd be doing that is because of those, those transgressions. And so, uh, so in their heads, Scientologists will will see something off or wrong, but then the cognitive dissonance of this information from L. Ron Hubbard will make them turn their critical eye back on them. And they don't turn it on David Miscavige or L. Ron Hubbard or the organization as a whole, uh, because they're taught not to. So those are some of the factors you're dealing with when you're looking at putting together some kind of a mutiny against Miscavige. You know, you'd have to be operating at a level that is just below or within his inner circle. 
Uh, these people are checked over intensively on that e-meter, asked questions all the time of a very invasive nature about their intentions and ideas about David Miscavige specifically. And they believe that the e-meter works. Again, this is all a prison of belief. They think the e-meter works, therefore, as far as they're concerned, it does work. So when the, when the auditor or the person who's running the e-meter looks at them and asks them a question, you know, do you have some evil intention towards David Miscavige? And if the meter responds and they look at the guy and they're going to go, well, what's the evil intention towards David Miscavige? And that person's not getting out of that room until they cough what their evil intention is towards David Miscavige. And then how they have acted on that evil intention to try to undo his good work. See, this is the kind of, of actual, the, the, the control that goes on in order to keep people in line. So between the security forces and the, and the peer pressure, because it's not just security that is loyal to Miscavige, almost all of the Sea Org is, and the control mechanisms that are in place to keep him there, it is a difficult task. It would take an, a tremendous uh, force of will to overcome that and then collude with others to get, you know, to get uh, into a place where you could assert control. And, uh, and having, and the last thing I'll say on this, of course, is that because David Miscavige did this himself back in the 80s, he is absolutely paranoid about anybody doing it to him and has set up perhaps other safeguards I don't even know about in order to keep himself protected from any possibility of being... Uh, you know, of a coup d'etat, so to speak, happening. So, there you go. Roman Kolosianek. What about you as a Scientologist? What did you expect to be the end goal? I get the idea that you want to go clear and become an OT8 and break the cycle of forgetting your previous lives and obtain powers to control MEST, but then what? From what I gather, Scientologists believe LRH did not die, but assumed a state of being where he could willfully discard his body. Am I correct in assuming that is the end goal of all Scientologists? Does a cleared OT8 Thetan who has discarded its body spend the rest of eternity without a body? Or does a cleared OT8 Thetan look for a new body with the expectation that memories of previous lives and the ability to control MEST are retained? It's a good question, Roman, um, because it, it actually made me like really think about my time when I was in Scientology and what sort of things did I have in mind. I never even got to the OT levels when I was in. I only got up to the level of clear. And my, the best, the best, and the, the, the most I could ever imagine when I was a Scientologist was that I would attain some state of being where I would be godlike. Um, I know, I, th I believe like in the Mormon tradition, it's, it, you know, you get your own planet or something and you get your own followers and you become like God. Uh, I didn't quite have that idea. I didn't want my own planet with a bunch of followers worshiping me or something. That wasn't really what I had in mind. I thought that, actually, I thought that I would attain this high level of, of existence and being this where all of my questions would be answered. Every mystery of life would no longer be a mystery. I would understand everything when it came to where I came from, where everybody came from, what life is at, at, its, at its real core, where, you know, where does it come from, what's it all about, 
why are we here? Where are we going? I, I expected answers to all of these questions. And I thought that they would be on the OT levels, which was one reason I was so unbelievably pissed when I read what was on the OT levels and saw that it didn't have anything to do with answering almost any of these questions. Uh, you know, very, very brush off and very, very not at all what I was looking for. And I didn't want to just get the idea of, I mean, I wanted answers to all of the stuff that, uh, that happened in the past, even if it was in the distant, distant, you know, trillions upon trillions of years in the past as to where we came from. But I also wanted answers as to, you know, well, where are we all going? Because we could, if you can do anything, maybe there's another plane of existence or another place to be that is not just this place. And I couldn't, I'd think about it and think about it and I couldn't quite conceive of what, what would that even be like? What would existence be like if it didn't consist of, of moving through time in a world of matter and energy, right, in space? I, I couldn't really conceive of it. I kept thinking and thinking about it. Um, but, I, but, it what I, but the common thread or the common denominator for me of what I expected to get out of all this was once I had answers to everything that I'd ever wondered about that was, you know, of, of any importance, would be how could I then turn around and, and, and use my powers or abilities to then um, lead future lives with bodies here in the, in the physical universe or the messed universe so that I could help others get out of it. Because uh, Hubbard uh, said, and I believed, that, you know, if we don't all make it, then none of us make it, right? It's not just, you know, somebody gets to the top and flits off and you never see or hear from them again. It was supposed to be that you get to the top of the bridge and then you turn around and you, you know, you get everybody else pulled up to the top of the bridge. And that was my goal. So I figured I'd be involved with what was going on here for a very long time, uh, here on planet Earth. And then, you know, on other planets, other civilizations here in this universe. I mean, it's a, if you start thinking the thought through, it becomes this tremendous job. I mean, just trying to think with the numbers of, of clearing Earth. I started running those numbers in the later years of my time in the Sea Org and realized that we were not approaching anything even, re, even remotely close to the kind of numbers we were really needing to hit in order to achieve planetary clearing this lifetime, right? It was like, yeah, that's, mm -mm, we're not even close. And, uh, and in the last year that I was in, I started actually openly even discussing that with some other Scientologists who didn't really want to hear it. And when I asked them about it, hadn't really done the math or, or figured it out. And we're just kind of running on automatic, you know, on autopilot as far as being Scientologists and where they were going. I don't know that a lot of Scientologists really think about this a lot or try to figure out where it's all going. Um, they have this goal of, you know, total spiritual freedom and personal immortality. And, and I think that, that those kind of, uh, you know, I guess maybe you could call them thought-stopping cliches. <laughs> you know, there's these sort of ideas of infinite wisdom and infinite knowledge and infinite ability are just so inconceivable to people that they kind of go, well, I'll deal with it when I get there, but right now I gotta pay my bills and, and get my next intensive of auditing and, and figure out how to uh, you know, uh, deal with my taxes as well and, and uh, whatever is, else is going on in their life or their job or whatever, right? That's kind of where their attention is 
tends to stay focused. I found myself uh, in asking these kind of questions or looking at this kind of stuff when I was in Scientology to be kind of a high-level thinker on that subject. Uh, I didn't run into too many other people who'd really given it a whole lot of thought. So I guess that's, uh, I guess that's all I can say on that. Danny. After all of my free time as an EMT, because I don't wish harm to others, I've been listening to random stuff on the internet. The congresses that Hubbard has given are, of course, all over the web. But I find myself falling asleep while listening to him. On the upside, it's a good two-hour nap. But on the downside, I have yet to find a way to learn by osmosis. If I, as a person who is only trying to understand the chaos that is Scientology, can't stay awake, how does anyone else listen to this without ending up looking like a narcoleptic? All right, when you're studying L. Ron Hubbard's lectures or books in a Scientology church uh, in the classrooms, you have a course room supervisor who is overseeing the progress of every individual student. Each student is uh, on their own check, check sheet or checklist of items to study and do uh, on each of their individual courses. So you could have 30 people in the room all on different courses or in different places on the same course, but they're all moving at their own pace. The supervisor is there to make sure that, super, that students don't fall asleep. Falling asleep in the classroom or getting do, you know, dozy or, or drifting off or not quite there or anything like that is indicative of a misunderstood word. And the supervisor's job is to go help the person find what word or words or symbols they didn't understand in their materials and get them cleared up using a dictionary, of course. If a person's really plowed in, then they send them over to a, a word clearer whose only job is to sit with the person and find what words they don't understand. There's like nine different methods of doing word clearing on someone. I've laid all this out in a video on the basics of Scientology on StudyTech. So you can check that out if you're curious about what I'm talking about when I'm talking about word clearing. But there's no sleeping allowed in the course rooms. <laughs> And I supervised classes for years. And I also studied a lot of Scientology materials myself over all those years. And so the rule in Scientology is that if you find yourself dozing off or getting sleepy, you have to find the misunderstood word. And when you do, you'll know it's the right word because you'll brighten up. When you just spotting it, you'll brighten up a little bit, but then you look up the word in the dictionary and you clear it all up by going through all the definitions and make sure you understand all of them. And by the time you're done with all that, you're supposed to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed again. And I watched that happen a number of times. Whether that happened because of the confirmation bias of expecting it to happen, you know, you're indoctrinated that this is how it's going to go, so maybe you're meeting those expectations because that's what you know is expected of you, or whether there actually is something to that, I couldn't say. I, it really does, it would be something that I think would actually need to be studied before we could definitively say one way or the other, Hubbard was right all the time, or Hubbard was wrong all the time, or maybe there's a mix of this. I, I don't really know. But I do know that I experienced that myself, subjectively, and I watched hundreds, maybe thousands of people over all the years that I supervised classes, I watched this happen. So I can say that it, that it did happen. Uh, and that is how you study. So, and, that's, and that principle about the misunderstood word is pounded into your head very early on. You know, in the, in the big wide world, people don't 
have that principle or idea and so you know they read things and they fall asleep and they don't you know they, they forget what they read they go blank on it happens all the time and uh, and I you know I don't know that the misunderstood word is this is the sole cause of that or the only reason for that at all uh, I think if you didn't get enough sleep the night before you're gonna have a damn hard time studying I think if you're distracted as a student and your and your attention is drifting from one place to another to another because of the demands of a job or some other stressful situation, I think that can impair learning, uh, as well as a thousand other things. So, you know, who's to say? But I wanted to give you the Scientology answer to that because that's how we dealt with it in the Church of Scientology, and we didn't deal with it any other way. It was either you didn't get enough sleep the night before and you got into trouble, or you went and saw the word clearer, and that was just about all there was to it when it came to students falling asleep. And the lightning and the thunder indicate it is time for Flash Answers. Sherry, do most Scientologists believe that Hubbard actually voluntarily left his body when he died? Yes, most Scientologists do believe that. Because as I answered earlier, when you are get to the top of the bridge, you're supposed to be the man. You're supposed to be like 100% uh, on top of things and, uh, and in control. So leaving your body would be no big deal. Gary Lulu. Hey Chris, is it common for Scientologists to get married in full Sea Org dress uniform? No, Gary. In fact, I never saw anyone get married in full dress uniform. I usually saw them go rent a tux or a dress, you know, for the women, of course. Eddie Pillow. Are Tom Cruise and David Miscavige honestly friends, or is it a friendship of utility? As far as I know, they are honestly friends. Everyone that I have ever spoken with who was in on that relationship or privy to it uh, clearly stated that they that were best buds and maybe some competition, some, you know, this, this sort of thing, but that it was a kind of a total bromance and, uh, and that Tom Cruise especially was on the side of very much emulating and looking up to David Miscavige. Okay, folks, that's our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and watching. Please consider contributing to my Patreon uh, page to keep this channel going. And I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.